0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Yeah, so Granger played that for me and showed me that's going to be the bumper video and I, he's like I do expect to see some uh, movement up there. So, every week we're going to all get into a groove as I come up for the first Corinthian series and we'll have like a screen and you can get behind with a silhouette and see a dance off and s- no, I'm kidding. We're not doing any of that. It's not the kind of church this is. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. My goodness, look at the great crowd we have. Everybody's back to school. Vacations are over. I'm sorry, but hey, Today is all about having an attitude of gratitude. everybody say that with me An attitude of gratitude that 's what today is all about because uh, we are starting our study of first and second corinthians, and uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to first corinthians chapter one we 'll be looking at verses one through nine that Jared read for us already uh, in this letter that Paul writes to uh, the, the members of the church at Corinth was the church he started. There was all kinds of problems going on. There was some weird situations. There was a lot of sin going on, a lot of biting and devouring of each other, a lot of division, just not a good scene. Uh, and yet Paul begins this letter with an attitude of gratitude that is rooted in the grace of God. And so Paul sets the tone for an attitude of gratitude. And for us to do that, I thought as we, in our worship planning meeting, we said, well, maybe we could have someone come up in the church and give a little testi- testimony, maybe get someone to testify about how they are grateful for uh, the church. And so at that moment, I said, well, I have just a person in mind. I reached over my desk and I handed a letter that was just a letter that one of our members wrote, a quick note saying how grateful they were for this church. And so Lana, alarm you is coming now everyone say alarm you that's Lana alarm it's just fun to say her name so anytime you're bored just say alarm and uh so so Lana thank you so much for agreeing this is Lana she's been up here playing the violin hadn't that been a real blessing for us all and so uh thank you for using your gifts to do that and I know that's uh, a real joy you've expressed uh, to me that you're so grateful to do that uh, before I give you an opportunity to just kind of tell us why you were uh, grateful for the for the Lord's work in this church, just give us a brief word or two about who is Lana Alarmu?
1: Well, she's nervous.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. It's
1: a bigger service than the other one. Um, but hey, I'm Lana. Um, I graduated uh, from Louisiana Tech in May of 2018, then moved here in August last year for a job at LSU, so been living here for a year. Um, yeah, and she's I,
0: not a med student, though you'll always see her in the first service with all those med <laughs> students. What do you do up at the med school?
1: Um, I do some signal processing for a neurosurgery lab.
0: Anybody no, know what that is, signal processing? <laughs> okay, good. I'm not the only one that has no idea what you do, but all right.
1: <laughs> it's biomedical engineering stuff, and then I also am in full-time grad school for engineering online. So,
0: Still feed me, please. <laughs> yeah, free food. <laughs> <laughs> members meeting tonight, we have free food at 4 o'clock, so uh, you be sure and come to members meeting. Um, well, I'll just, I'll just tee it up and just say, tell me, tell us why you have an attitude of gratitude for what God's doing in this church.
1: So um, when I was looking for a church back in August, I was kind of just looking around, and the main focus of mine was um, to look for a young adults program. And there's plenty. Eh, We have no young adult program. (laughs) Strike one. But go ahead. But there's plenty of other churches with um, a bunch of young adults. And I had knew approximately two people in Shreveport, and they were both med students. And so I wanted a community of people that were my age, looked like me, thought like me, and were um, and that I could be friends with. But um, God had other plans and led me here. And I was kind of didn't want to be here. um, If I'm being honest. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: didn't say that in the first service. Wait, (laughs) we need to rethink who we have come up and say they're grateful for this church. I hated everything about it, but...
1: No, but I knew God was calling me here. Um, I knew the theology and just the people, and um, it was just all... God was just calling me here so clearly, um, and I was fighting it. But then in January, um, my life just kind of had the bottom fall out of it, and I just kind of was like, threw my hands up and was like, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I need to get in community. So please, like, put me in a community group. I need to get involved. So I um, measled my way into a foundations group. Um, I don't she like came in so. the back doors. Yeah. She, she, but we, <laughs> That's we're a backwards really. way of doing things. Um, but it was, the church staff was so accommodating to let me be with my two friends that I had that were my age, but also get to be in the multi-generational um, community groups that we have. And it was beyond what I could have imagined, um, and it offered what more than just a young adults group could offer, because um, there were times where I live four hours away from any family that I have, and so um, there were two specific times where I just really needed to call on family, and this church became that for me. Um, one of those times was when my apartment got broken into, and the first call was to my parents, who were four hours away. The second call was 911, who said... Uh, we'll send someone out. They didn't ask Four for hours
0: sh- away as well. Yeah, they okay. didn't ask for my
1: apartment mm-hmm. gate code. I was like, gosh, what am I supposed to do? Third call was to, at 10 o'clock at night, one of the families in my community group, whose husband is a state trooper, ex, um, I think maybe Marine or Army drill sergeant, real intense guy, he's awesome, and um, <laughs> was over at my apartment in seven minutes. And so that was just such a blessing. And they came and prayed with me. They came and talked with me, walked me through, like, self-defense stuff. And, um, and that was just such a blessing to know that I had family here in the body of Christ. And it was just such a picture of, like, what the church is supposed to do and live it out, um, like an act where you just bear with one another and love one another. Um, and the second time I was – it was a Saturday. I had to go into work on a Saturday, and my car wouldn't start, and I hadn't eaten that day. It was, like, 1 o'clock, and I was just like – what am I supposed to do? My dad's four hours away. I'm FaceTiming him in the front of the car trying to...
0: That's called the engine. Yeah, yeah that yeah. thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, was,
1: I was like, what am I supposed to do? And I just texted my community group and was like, can anybody help me? And someone came and helped me replace my battery when I was at work. I wasn't even there. And it was just such a picture of what the church is supposed to be. And so, and that took being vulnerable and rubbing shoulders with people, sharing testimonies, um, and going, diving deep in community groups. And um, and so I encourage you, if you're not involved in those, to maybe take that step of vulnerability and just check out the connection group. They didn't ask me to plug that. I just am. Um, (laughs) But um, (laughs) I'm just so thankful to have a church that's living out what the body of Christ is supposed to do. There's people that I've learned from that have walked through harder things than me before. Just by sharing their life stories and connection groups and community groups, I've gotten to see um, their struggles and we've just all gotten to love each other. And I really think this church is living out what the church is supposed to do. Um, so I'm just super grateful and that's, that's awesome. it. Yeah. yeah. Thank,
0: <laughs> thank you for sharing. Uh, be careful. That's awesome. Thank you, Lana Larmue, for sharing, uh, how God has, has blessed you through this church. And that's really the attitude of gratitude that we want to, that we want to see, uh, the Lord produce in our hearts. Now, I want to be clear. We don't want to say, hey, just fake it if you, don't, if you don't feel it. But if you don't feel it, then we want to encourage you and pray that the Lord will minister in your heart and, and help produce this uh, by the Spirit of God as we uh, look at what he's saying today. Let me ask the Lord to uh, help to do that in our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that no matter what we're going through right now, I know that All of us every day are facing challenges and difficulty and things that grieve our heart, circumstances that perplex us and tempt us to grow cold and bitter and angry and all the spectrum of emotions that we have. Underneath that, Lord, I pray that as we experience real life and real challenges, that there will be a genuine spirit-produced attitude of gratitude for the grace of God that undergirds our heart. We pray that you'll begin to fan those flames in her heart this morning as we look at the uh, First Corinthians passage. It's Christ, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so turn your Bibles to First Corinthians chapter 1. We're looking at verses 1 through 9. And uh, as we approach the text, let's think about the situation a little bit. If you go to, don't do it now, but if you want this week to read in Acts chapter 18, you can read a little bit about uh, what happened when Paul was in Corinth. It gives you some detailed, uh, just about a chapter on what what all went down when he is in Corinth. But he spent about 18 months there, about a year and a half there, and God did a lot of great things while he was there. But then as he moved on to Ephesus, he uh, began to write letters to address issues of things that he heard that was going on among those peoples. And so, uh, what was Corinth like? Corinth, the city of Corinth... Uh, from my study, reminds me a lot of what I think of when I think of New Orleans. Now, New Orleans is a fun city to visit, and it's, it's great. If you go to a nice, pretty hotel, and you and you go to the the, the beignet place and Cafe Du Monde, and you eat beignets, and, and then you head home after a nice meal or two, and you say, well, that's, that's a great city. Well, if you were Kyle and Susie Jaggers and the team who left here and uprooted their lives and moved into New Orleans to take the gospel to the ...to the innermost parts of of New Orleans where there is not glitz and glamour but there is a lot of craziness going on. You realize New Orleans has a lot of issues going on in there. Not unlike Shreveport or any other city... My intent is not to bash New Orleans. It's just to say that the, a lot of the ideas and culture that you see in New Orleans is what was going on in Corinth because they're both seaport cities. Anywhere there's a massive port, there's a lot of jobs and commerce and people gravitate and they come in from all over the world. And instead of traveling far away from the port, they just settle there and there's a lot of jobs there. And so you end up having a melting pot of a lot of different cultures. And so that's what Corinth was like. It had, this, it had a lot of people uh, of culture from all over the, the known world at the time. And, and it was a real sense of debauchery and a licentious, wild partying lifestyle. In fact, uh, to, if someone was that type of person, they were said to have lived like a Corinthian. It's kind of like we do when something crazy happens. Man, this is like Mardi Gras. Or we just kind of quote, laissez les bonté rouler, you know, laissez la bonté rouler, and it's just, man, these people are crazy. You know, they must be Cajun. You know, I mean, we do the same thing, that it becomes iconic for a certain lifestyle. And that's what, no offense to my Cajun friends in the room, uh, but that's what was going on in Corinth. In fact, J.C. Pollock described uh, or said this statement about this. He said, If the love of Christ Jesus could take root in Corinth, the most populated, wealthy, commercial-minded, and sex-obsessed city of Eastern Europe, and it must prove powerful anywhere. In other words, it, this is a big challenge. And so Paul is called by God to go to Corinth with the gospel at a time in his life when you read Acts and you read what he's been going through, the dude is tired, he's discouraged, he's got despair and depression, and he just wants to quit, honestly. And then God says, go to Corinth. Corinth was a crazy city. There had a hill that was 1,800 feet high, and on top of that hill sat the, uh, the temple to Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. And so every evening as dusk, as the sun set, over 1,000, quote unquote, sacred prostitutes, temple prostitutes, would descend upon the city and work the streets of Corinth. Corinth also had the temple of Apollo, who was the ideal of male beauty. The city contained Nude male statutes, which we kind of think of when we think of Greek statutes. We, we know the statutes. But those statutes served as displays of devotion to the gods of the beautiful boys. Which led to Corinth becoming the center of homosexual practices. So when you think Corinth. I want you to see this is what Paul was walking into. It is no surprise then that Paul says that he entered the city with great fear and trembling. As I studied this, I thought, we need to remember to pray for Kyle and Susie and the team that are down in New Orleans. It's some rough, rough soil. To To make matters worse, Paul at this time in his life, as I said, was tired. He's feeling weak, he's discouraged, he's wanting to turn in his his, uh, Bible, if you will, he's wanting to turn in his his career and say, let me just focus on tent making, because he did both. No wonder he entered with fear and trembling. So what was going on in the church? What was the church like as he comes to Corinth or as he writes to Corinth? David Pryor, just for time's sake, summarizes it very well. He says, quote, It was a large church with many Corinthians were converted to Christ. But it was full of cliques, each following a different personality. Many Christians were very snobbish. At fellowship meals, the rich kept to themselves and the poor were left alone. There was very little church discipline. A lot of laxity was allowed, both in morals and in doctrine, an all-too-common combination. They were unwilling to submit to authority of any kind, and the integrity of Paul's own apostleship was frequently questioned. There was a distinct lack of humility and of consideration for others, some being prepared to take fellow Christians to court, and others celebrating their newfound freedom in Christ without the slightest regard for the less robust consciences of fellow believers. In general, they were very keen on the more dramatic gifts of the Spirit and were short on love rooted in truth. This is the church that Paul greets, end quote. So at the end of his ministry, or at, or, at a, or at a place in his ministry where he's burned out, he's tired, he's been abused, he's been beaten, he's been run through the ringer, He's called to go to Corinth, which is just sin city. And he's now dealing with a church that is just messed up, prideful, divided, going through all sorts of problems. And so he sits down to write a letter. Now, if you're writing that letter, and many of those people in the church are talking bad about you as the founding pastor... Hypothetically, let's just say that a founding pastor founded a church and then some younger guys came on staff and started preaching. And one of them was named Jared and one of them was named Kevin. <laughs> and this group over here is going, I like it when Kevin preaches. And this guy's over here going, I like it when Jared preaches. And these guys over here going, I like it when Jared and Kevin preach too. Notice no one said me. Oh, he's washed up, you know. Yeah, he was the founder of the church. But, you know, maybe it's time for him to move on. And I'm hearing all this hypothetically. That's not happening, but I'm just saying. This is what Paul's going through. And he's hearing this talk about him. And now he's going to sit down and write a letter back to those people. What does he say? What does he do? What would you say? What would I say? I would say, number one, let's, let's talk about how much experience I have. Let's talk about what I've got compared to these other guys. Or let me talk about you and how you need to humble yourselves. What does Paul do? Look at verse 1, chapter 1. He introduces himself. Paul, the Jew of Jews, educated at the finest schools, top of my class. I have seen it all, done it all. How dare you question me? Is that what he says? No, he says, my name is Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. So Paul and Sosthenes are writing this letter. Sosthenes was a ruler of the Jewish synagogue before he converted to believe in Jesus Christ. After coming to Christ, you can read in Acts that he was beaten and persecuted for his faith in Christ. But notice how Paul describes himself. He emphasizes not his credentials, not his eloquence in the Greek culture. It was all about eloquence and rhetoric and how, you, how well you presented. And those who heard the eloquent preaching of someone like Apollos who came later said, Oh, we've got a higher knowledge, a greater wisdom, a deeper insight. and understanding. We're the true Christians in this church. And, and those of you who followed Paul, and he, he wasn't eloquent. He was nothing. That's the kind of stuff going on. And Paul just says, it's not about me. I'm simply called by the will of God to be an apostle. This idea of calling becomes very important in this letter that Paul writes. All throughout, we see this idea of calling. And this idea of Paul saying, I've been called by God to do this. It does two things. It it communicates a humility, but it also gives him an authority. The humility comes from the fact that he says, this isn't about me. I didn't do anything to be called by God. In fact, if you look at Paul's journey, his name was Saul. He was actively persecuting the church. He thought it was a heresy. He, He thought it was blasphemy for this Jesus fellow to claim to be the Messiah. And so he was traveling and got special rights and he was really good at putting them in prison and chasing down these, this cult of Christianity to wipe it out. And on his journey, God, the Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ, appeared to him and called him, Paul, you, you and now will not be Saul, you'll be Paul, and you will be a, a founder of my church. You will spread my gospel. And so... Paul says, look, this is not about me. This is not about my credentials. I'm nothing. I'm not the reason that you should listen to me. The reason you should listen to Paul, he says, is because God called me to this. And it's all by the grace of God. I don't merit this title. I don't merit this position of capital A apostle. An apostle is someone who the resurrected Jesus Christ himself commissioned them to go and and represent him. Much like we see the, the prophets in the Old Testament. God said, you will be my spokesperson. These guys were handpicked by the resurrected Christ. Who saw the resurrected Christ from the grave. And Jesus said, now you go. And you, you present the gospel. And spread the good news. And so, that's the only reason why Paul. That's the only card Paul plays. Is, is God called me to this. God chose me to this. I'm nothing in and of myself. So there's a great humility that is a character characteristic of Paul and his life. But with this comes an authority that he does represent the word of God to his people. The word that should be listened to and should be submitted to. But it's not because Paul stands up and says, I'm smart enough that you should listen to me. Anybody who stands in this pulpit and preaches the word of God, the only reason that anyone should listen to any of it as it has any authority in your life is to the extent that it exposes clearly what God himself has said. You're not submitting to, to something I say or one of the other guys who stand up here and teach says, you're submitting yourselves along with us to what we see in the word of God that God has said to us. And so there's a humility, but there's an authority that we see in Paul's life as he emphasizes that I have been called by the grace of God. In fact, the whole first point that Paul is going to make as he deals with himself and with the church in the next verse is our first point. We are a people of grace. That's what we need to understand. As we interact with one another, as we're frustrated by one another in the church, as we are tempted to want to exalt ourselves because someone else is trying to exalt themselves, as, as we have potential for conflict or, or resistance or jealousy or strife, We need to remember one thing. Our identity in Christ is that we are a people of grace. It's all about grace. And we see that in the next verse. Look at verse 2 and verse 3. Paul says, now here's who I'm writing to. Listen to how he describes the people. I'm writing to the church of God. The church of God that belongs to God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus... And those who are called to be saints, together with all those in every place, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So do you see what he's doing? He's talking to all of us as people in the church, got all this mess going on. And he says... Look at, quit looking at each other and quit fighting each other. And quit getting, in each other's, uh, getting on each other's nerves. He says, stop. Look up and realize we are a people of grace. The only reason any of us is here is the grace of God. And as the people of grace, that changes everything. That produces within each one of us humility. Y'all, this place should be the, the most humble people. When someone comes in and encounters this body, they should say, man, they are a humble people. Where does that humility comes from? Humility comes from a proper recognition of who you are in light of God. That the reason that you are here, the reason that you are a follower of Christ is the work of God's grace. You and I as a people, we belong to God. We are the church of God. And we have been sanctified. That means we receive the action of God. God actively sanctified us in Christ Jesus. That means that he set us apart and he sealed us in Christ Jesus. This is what God did to us, for us. This is not what we did. This is what God did. And he says, and then we are described as those who are called to be saints. Called to be holy. Not Aspired to be holy and finally achieved holiness. But God in his grace called you saint. Called you holy in Christ. He granted you that position in Christ. He declared the righteousness of Christ over you. He bathed you and clothed you in the righteousness of Christ. Despite your sin because the blood of Christ washed us of our sin, cleansed us, absorbed the condemnation that we deserved. Christ took that so that now God's justice is satisfied. So that he can then say, you are righteous. And what did you do to deserve that? Nothing. It's all despite our lack of merit. Merit. And so, like Saul, we are pursuing a life of sin and rebellion and and resistance to God. And then God, in His grace, called us. And we responded by calling upon the name of the Lord. And so, every Christian, everywhere, as he says, in all the places, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord is described this way. They are the people of God sanctified by God in Christ Jesus and called to be saints. You want to summarize the message of what Paul says in these verses is that God saved you by His grace in Jesus Christ. God enriches you with everything you ever need by grace in Jesus Christ. And God sustains you with everything you will ever need for the end of eternity in Jesus Christ by His grace. We are a people of grace. That should be the very identity of our hearts. And this is very important because this produces a genuine attitude of gratitude in our hearts, no matter what we're going through. And I know a lot of things are going on in our people's lives. A lot of challenges, a lot of difficulties, a lot of circumstances. But I'm not saying that, oh, if you're a Christian, you should be like, oh, yeah, nothing happens it's not what we're saying but what we're saying is undergirding those challenges and those genuine heart pains and grief and anguish and temptations there is a bedrock foundation a joy that is not the same as happiness but a joy which is akin to a gratitude in your heart for the grace of God and that sustains you So this means that we have an attitude of gratitude. And what that does is that if you are grateful for something, if you have gratitude, that's a position of humility. You're looking up to the one who has done something for you and you are grateful. As a church, we are in a a humble posture Grateful for the unmerited favor that has been granted us in Christ Jesus. For it is God who called us. It is God who sanctified us. And so we are grateful. But why is that so important? Because when I read through the quote describing the church, listen how a humble posture gets at the root of pride That is at the root of all those problems. A humble posture of gratitude addresses cliques, snobbery, an unwillingness to submit to authority, a lack of consideration for others, taking fellow Christians to court, disregarding others' freedoms in Christ because of our freedom in Christ. Overemphasis on the dramatic spiritual gifts, a humble attitude of gratitude for the grace of God in Jesus Christ works at the root of pride and addresses all those problems that rise up in the church. So if you see in your own heart resentment, bitterness, anger, strife, jealousy rising up, you got to go back to the gospel and fan the flames. You don't just fake it. You do the hard work we've been talking about for the last three or four weeks. Of we get back to the Word of God, we get whatever it takes to get back to the place where we realize we are a people of grace. There is no boasting in grace. There is no grounds for boasting in grace. And the moment we feel like boasting, the moment we feel entitled, the moment we feel I've got my rights, the mo- is the moment we need to say, Wait a minute. I am not entitled to anything. I got no rights. All I have, all I can boast in is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So we're a people of grace. Not only are we a people of grace, but next we see we exist to the praise of grace. That's what Paul does in verse 4. He he starts to praise God for the grace of God in their lives. Remember who he's talking to. Remember what is going on. Remember what they're saying about him and, and doing to him. And what does he say to them? I give thanks to my God always for you. Can you give thanks to God for those who you would say are doing you wrong? That's the spirit of God that works in our hearts to enable us to do that. Well, how do we do that? Because of the grace of Of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. He is thankful because he looks at the people in the church and he says, I thank God for the grace that has been given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way, not just some of the way, but in every way, you were enriched in Him. He sees who they can become in Christ. He sees, when he looks at his fellow church members, he sees who Christ is making them to be, who Christ has declared them to be, who Christ is enriching them to be, who they are becoming through discipleship and through the administration of the grace of God, through the preaching of the word and the gifts of the spirit. He says, I can thank God for you because I know who Christ has declared you to be and who he's making you to be. Is that how we look at each other in the church? He says, I give thanks, thanks to my God always because of the grace of God which is given you in Christ, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. As you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So in these verses, we see the praise of grace. Paul praises God for for two aspects of God's grace we're going to look at. God's enriching grace and God's sustaining grace. This is what Paul does. He's praise God. I thank God for the grace that he has shown to this church because I see his enriching grace in and among us and I see his sustaining grace. Verse 4, in Christ Jesus, verse 5, that in every way you were enriched. In Christ Jesus, you received, unmerited favor that all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places are yours in Christ. Every way, in every way imaginable. If you think about all that God is, all that God does, all the blessings of the universe, they are in Christ. And God called you out of darkness, out of your sin, and he hid you and placed you in Christ so that every way you are enriched in Christ. That's amazing grace. That is is praise to God's grace. Not to, to your merit, not to your eloquence not to your religious activity not because you read your bible enough not because you gave enough money not because you did anything it's despite mine and your lack of merit even while you and i were sinning god died for us he took our penalty upon himself because he is gracious and he made us his children he drew us to Himself. Nobody is saved apart from the grace of God. No one can save Himself. If you don't have the work of God in your life, that message is foolishness. But God, in His grace, draws us to Himself. And when we hear the gospel, we cry out, Yes, Jesus, save me. So in Christ, we have everything. We have been enriched in every way. This is what Paul also said in Ephesians 1, 1.3. 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. When God put you in Christ, when you trusted in Christ, every Spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is yours. He has enriched your life in every way. And you and I are on the journey of allocating, of receiving more and more of the riches of Christ into every area of our life. That's what this journey is, is experiencing, exploring the riches of the glories of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing In the heavenly places, in Jesus Christ, that in every way you were enriched. And then look at verse 6. Paul says, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. The Greek word there translated confirmed means to secure, to sustain, to confirm. Paul preached to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when they believed, God secured them, sustained them, confirmed them by the works of the Spirit of God, giving evidence of His presence in and among them. He confirmed, yes, you are in Christ, by the powerful, gracious giving. He graced them with His Spirit. And the Spirit empowers the body to Give to one another, to bear bear one another's burdens, to love one another, serve one another, care for one another. Gives us gifts to sing and plays instruments and violins to the glory of God. And he says, God confirmed that you are in Christ by pouring the spirit into your body as a collective group of people called the church. The giving of the Spirit among the people of God in the church is the securing, sustaining, confirming work of God. God saved you. God called you. The whole idea of church, that comes from a Greek word called ekklesia, which means the called out ones. That's your very identity. The called out ones whom God called together. There's one Christ. He called each one of us, multiple people into one. So we are united and now we're called the body of Christ, filled with the spirit of christ where he is allocating and distributing to us the riches of the glory of god that are in christ into each one of us so that we as multiple parts become one body existing and functioning to the glory of god he says this is crazy this is amazing this is great we are a people of grace that exists to the praise of god's grace the point is this there is no grounds for boasting in this place Except in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the grace of God. We exist as a people of grace to the praise of grace. Finally, we see this same grace that enriches every area of our life, sustains our life. Look at verse 7b and following. He says, Jesus Christ, verse 8, will sustain you to the end, guiltless In the day of the Lord. Anybody recognize that phrase? The day of the Lord. Does anyone know what the day of the Lord is? Please someone nod yes. Frank got it right in the first service. Everyone else was asleep. Anyone ever heard the day of the Lord? Yes, you were here all summer. The day of the Lord is that terrible day of judgment when Christ our Lord comes back and finally it says enough is enough to his enemies. Those rebelling against him, those resisting him, those who have taken arms up against him. He gives them what they want, which is no Jesus. And he destroys them. But in that process, he also saves those who are in Christ. And it's time for reward. But in the meantime, how do I know I will last? How do I know I will continue to be faithful? Because every day is a struggle. Every day I'm tempted. Every day I get weak, it seems like. How will I guarantee? How can I be sure that I will make it guiltless to the day of the Lord? The grace of God sustains you. Jesus Christ will sustain you to the end guiltless In the day of the Lord, that word for sustain is the same word as that word used for confirm. So the the grace and spirit of God graces you by sustaining you, securing you in Christ, giving you the Spirit of God, and that same Spirit of God sustains you, secures you, confirms you, so that you are guiltless on that final day of the Lord. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear Christ's return. You will grow in grace as the people of grace to the praise of God's grace. This is the work of God himself. This is what God is doing in the church. And we keep our eyes up on what, that we belong to God, that we are a people of grace. To the praise of grace, it transforms the body of Christ. And so, verse 9, he concludes appropriately God is faithful. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, we should be a people that have an attitude of gratitude and it be genuine, not just phony. But we should have an attitude of gratitude for God has saved us by his grace in Jesus Christ. God is enriching us by his grace in Jesus Christ. And God will sustain us by his grace in Jesus Christ. And so with an attitude of gratitude, no matter what's happened to you this week, no matter what terrible circumstance you've been through, no matter what terrible tragedy or difficulty you're facing, underlying that, you can have an attitude of gratitude because God has saved you, enriched you, and will sustain you till the end. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you will give us this attitude of gratitude and that this humble posture of gratitude for your grace will will be a testimony of your grace. That this place, these people, when we're gathered and when we're spread and sent out into the world, that no matter what we're going through, no matter how hard we cry and those, those tears are real, that underneath it there's a warmth in our heart that says, Thank you, God, for saving me, enriching me, and sustaining me. That I, in the midst of this pain, I can cry, but I can still give glory to God for all that I'm going through. Because God is faithful. And he will always be faithful to the end. And Lord, I pray that as we sing the song and and I'm on the front row just praying for the people, I pray that people will do business with God. And and I know people all over this room are hurting. I, I just know I can count 15 without even trying to people that I know are going through very difficult times. I pray, God, that your spirit will crack into their hearts and drive deep into their hearts and you'll take the word of God of grace and minister to their hearts. And if you need prayer today, maybe you want to just ask for prayer. and I can intercede for you. I'll be up front. I want you to come during this song and just let me pray with you. Or maybe you just want to praise God for what he's doing in your life. Just let me pray with you during this song. And, and it, if it takes time, we'll just linger as long as it takes. But I pray you'll do business with the Lord. And let God give you an attitude of gratitude this morning for the grace that he has shown you in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray.